You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. in the Gospel of Luke, and the title's been The Real Jesus, and I hope you've grown as I have in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we look forward to wrapping Luke up, but continuing Luke, because we're going to go right into Acts, 28 chapters, uh, being the church. I can't wait to go through the book of Acts with Westwood Church. As I've reflected on uh, numerous decades of vocational ministry, one of the highlights for Ellen and I has been serving as a youth pastor. And so I did about 15 years of youth ministry. Today, some of those students are, of course, adults, married kids. We're still connected, watching their journey. It's super fun. But I'll never forget, early on in youth ministry, early 80s now, check this out, people would come to me, and these are good-hearted people. There was no ill will. And they would say something like this to me, Keith, when do you want to become a real pastor? And I'll tell you, as a youth pastor, I was like, gosh, I'm not sure what that means. And it didn't only happen once or twice, it was kind of the common theme. When do you want to graduate from youth ministry to senior ministry? Well, I thought about that over the years, and I thought, you know what? Why did it hurt me at the time? Why did I have to bite my lip? And it was real simple. Because at that point in time, with that question, I felt devalued or the youth ministry was being devalued. But then as the Lord peeled the layer of the onion back a little bit more, you know what it really was about? A statement like that is about your significance, your identity, where you hang your hat, what it means to feel honored, that So that was an interesting learning experience many years ago. Folks, we come to a passage this morning that has has at the heart of it that kind of tension. And so I want to invite you, please at home, everyone here on your devices, in your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22. You're going to see something remarkable this morning about pursuing status, pursuing significance, pursuing identity and honor among men versus from God. Luke 22, beginning with verse 24. Join with me as uh, we read God's word. Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. But he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles dominate them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is the greatest among you must become like the youngest. And whoever leads, like the one serving. For who is greater, Jesus says? The one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? Of course it is. But the contrast of Christianity, I am among you as the one who serves. What makes this passage all the more remarkable, if you were with us last week, remember, We are at the Passover meal. We are at one of the core meals in Scripture that Jesus transformed to communion, the Lord's Supper that we have been celebrating for 2,000 years. 
And if you remember at that great meal, Christ says, I eagerly desired to pour out my life for you, to redeem you, just like God did through Moses, the nation of Israel. He's eager to go to Calvary. And then what does he do? He gets up with a towel and wash basin, and he washes his disciples' feet. He takes on the role of servant and slave. He washes the traitor's feet, Judas. He washes Peter, one of his good buddies, who denies him three times. He washes his band of brothers, the ten guys who would soon abandon him in his time of need. And now, during this meal, you have to contextualize it. They're talking about who is the greatest. That's stunning. That's remarkable. So, folks, here's the deal. We might think we're different. I think we walk in the same shoes as the disciples did. I think this whole idea for identity, for recognition, for significance is as big then as it is today. And so today we're going to try to solve the problem of where do we find our significance? Where do we get our honor? How does status come? Does it come horizontally or ultimately vertically? And so I want to identify three problems that all of us face, and the problems come from the text. I'm just streaming this up and just kind of throwing it out. Right from the text, you're going to see three problems. If you have your digital guide, we're on page three. There's a nice outline, and I want to encourage you, please access it today more than ever. Uh, pages four and five are vital to understanding this passage. So problem number one, it all starts with our selfish ambitions. And folks, please don't make light of this. It might seem so simple, but look what happens in verse 24. Then a dispute arose, also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. The word dispute is a strong word in the ancient language. There's other words you could have used. They are fighting. Here you are at the Passover meal. You're supposed to be celebrating God's redemption. They're quarreling. They're arguing among themselves. Jesus is washing feet, and they're fighting. You know what James, the brother of Jesus, said? Very clear. Chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Folks, do not. Please never underestimate the power of the flesh. Why? Because Paul in Galatians chapter 5 said this. The spirit wages war against the flesh. The flesh wages war against the spirit. I promise you this. To the day you meet Jesus in glory, you will battle this sinful fleshly nature. And sometimes it rears its ugly head in ways just around this Passover meal. Who is the greatest? And Jesus is serving. So this ain't the first time this issue raised its head. You go to the Gospel of Mark, you're going to see numerous times in Capernaum, hey, who's the greatest? But one of my favorite stories, because it's so revealing, uh, the mother of James and John comes to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I got two sons. Could one of them sit on your right hand, and we'll talk about this more, the other on your left hand, in your kingdom? You know what happened to the other disciples when they overheard that being asked? The Bible says they were indignant. They were modern-day vernacular, ticked off. You know why I think they were ticked off? 
because they wanted the right and left hand. <laughs> I want the right and left hand. That's how big this stuff is to us. We want the place of honor, the place of significance. We want to have our identity affirmed among people. It all starts within that selfish ambition. So next time you start quarreling, next time you start fighting, next time you start arguing, Lord, do a heart check. Can I just say one word of encouragement to Westwood Church? As Pastor Jason said, this past 14 months have been different, right? One thing I can say, across the board, I have felt the togetherness, the unity, the lack of quarreling, the lack of fighting as we made some hard decisions, really hard decisions. And I thank God for that. And it's not like there hasn't been tension, but boy, there hasn't been fighting to the glory of God. Thank you, Lord. Problem number two, stick with me. Our pursuit of status, where do I get that from? Verse 26. Don't miss this, folks. What Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles dominate them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it, not, it must not be like that among you. The ancient world was a basically a status-driven society. It had a pecking order for everything. And so Jesus is highlighting the pecking order. You know what the pecking order is? Kings, leaders, those who have authority. In Rome, it basically was the Senate, and then it was military leaders, then it was freed men and women. Guess who are at the bottom rung of the ladder? We're going to see it in the text. Women, children, slaves. And literally, there was a pecking order. Cyrus, king of Persia, you may be familiar from the book of Ezra, he labeled himself king of kings and lord of lords. That was his title in the 5th century B.C. You know what the emperors did? The Roman emperors deified themselves, built statues to their glory. And as they gave out some trinkets to the people, they wanted to be known as benefactors. You know what that means? They wanted their name in neon lights. It's called status. It's called name recognition. Man, I did this. I accomplished that. Look to me. You know what Jesus says? Not so. Now, one of the most remarkable things in this passage that we're going to discover, and I want to ask you to turn to page four in your digital worship guide. We are at a meal in John 13 that we talked about last week. Remember? This technically is called a symposium meal. You can Google it. You can find out a lot. They are having a meal this is going to shock you. Turn to John chapter 13, verse 12. Let me show you what's going on at the meal. They are reclining at the meal. And sometimes you read that and you say, man, that's just weird. People laid down and ate? Not kind of into that. Well, let me explain what's going on. John 13, 12, when Jesus had washed their feet, put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done to you? So. Here's how it works. Picture a U-shaped table. It's called a triclinium. Three sides, okay? You would walk in the center as the server, very accessible, very easy. But what a person did was they would lay down on their left side, prop up with their elbow, eat with their right hand, nice cushions, really cool spot. 
and they did this for hours. The symposium meal was a long meal. The Passover meal transformed to eating and rushing in haste to a four-course meal. You're spending a lot of time. It's very comfortable. Now you say, what's the big deal here? Here's the big deal. Look at your drawing, if you would. It is shocking, folks, on page five. You realize at every symposium meal, and I mean every symposium meal, there was a pecking order. There was the right hand, who's the most trusted. That's the second seat of honor. There was the left hand, who's the seat of honor. And then everyone else around that table had a number assigned to them. But number one's a good place to be. That's where we want to be. Number two's, yeah, man, right and left hand. But boy, can you imagine moving to nine, 10, or 11? Not feeling so significant that day. Now, I want to show you something that's really remarkable. We know absolutely, without a doubt, who was in the seat of honor and who was in the seat of second honor. Now, the person to the right is the most trusted person in the mealtime. The person to the left is the honored guest. Let me show you who was to the right. Second place of honor. Look at uh, John 13, 23. One of his disciples, and we know who he is, the one Jesus loved, that's John the Beloved, was reclining close beside Jesus. Picture this, triclinium. Christ is on the left side. He's lying down. He's eating with his right. John's lying to his right. He would recline on Jesus' breast. That was customary in the ancient world. That was a good thing to do. John is his most trusted, loyal friend, and he's getting the second seat of honor. Now, who do you think has number one seat? It's remarkable, folks. Check this out. Look at John 13, 26. Jesus answered, the one who will betray him, I will give this piece of bread. When I have dipped it in the dish, then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Judas Iscariot had the place of honor. That's not fanciful. That's not wishful thinking. That's not to make the sermon more meaningful. Here's how we know that. Culture of hospitality in the ancient world demands this, that there is a place of honor around the symposium table, the, the uh, triclinium. And the person who shared the bowl, who shared the plate with the host was the number one seat, the place of honor. Who's sharing the bowl with Jesus? It's Judas Iscariot. Now, friends, there's so many things we could say about this, but I want to show you one thing for sure. John chapter 13, verse 1. Let me read it to you. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. He loved his own who were in the world. Notice this last phrase. If we miss this, we miss it. He loved them. How? To the end. Picture this, folks. Jesus uses this symposium meal, a meal designated for status, name recognition, honor, identity. He flips it around. He says, not so. We're not going to play that worldly game. This is never, ever about status. This is about loving. And he loved his disciples to the end. He loved Judas to the end, who got the seat of honor. He loved them all to the end because he washed their feet. 
This is remarkable. And so where do we take our cues from for our identity, for our significance, for our name recognition? Do we take it from the world? Here are my accomplishments. Here are my achievements. Do we want the pats on the back? Or do we want one day, Lord, Matthew 25, 21, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You've been faithful. Is that the accolade we want? The accolade Jesus wants for us. Now, problem number three, we've already alluded to it, our need for security and our need for significance. So you've got 13 men at the table. One is the host. Twelve other men literally got a number. You realize that? Twelve other men got a number. If you were one or two, how do you think you'd be feeling right now? Not, not too bad, right? Man, this is like a good day. Can't wait to the next Passover. If you're five or six, how are you feeling right now? Uh, kind of mixed, right? A little bit torn? How come I'm not up front a little bit more? If you're 11 or 12, how do you think you're feeling right now? Not so good. And here's what I believe with all my heart. What's going around in that culture was so much about honor, name recognition, significance, identity, all this stuff from the world, what Jesus did in his final meal. He says, not so with you guys. Because I'm not interested in security and significance. I'm interested in your identity. Let me show you the identity around that meal table. He says, I love you. You're loved by God. You didn't choose me. I chose you. You're chosen by God. In chapter 14 of John, we're at the Passover meal. I'm sending the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You're empowered by God. This is Ephesians chapter 1. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're redeemed by the precious blood. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We don't get our identity and significance from the world, Jesus says. Not so with his people. We get it from Christ. This tiny little phrase in the book of Ephesians. In Christ. When you're in Christ, all this worldly stuff, all the pursuits of this life, just pale in comparison. I am in Christ. And I find my identity, I find my worth in him. And regardless if I'm a youth pastor or associate pastor or lead pastor, that means nothing. I'm a servant of the king. That's our identity. So where do we go? Jesus gives us some really good things. And I want to share with you the blessing, God's solution to our problem. I love this is to descend into greatness. I titled this, Descend into Greatness, Revisited. Why? Because this is a repeated theme in Scripture. I love that title. I preached a message on this from Philippians 2 in the past. It just seems to show up everywhere. Humility, servanthood, brokenness, identity in Christ. And so let's talk about three descents, and we'll wrap it up. Descent number one, Become like the least. Luke twenty-two twenty-six. Again, this is right to the text, folks. This is exactly what Jesus wants for every one of us here this morning. Whoever is the greatest among you must become like the youngest. So basically, Jesus is using children as an object lesson. Children aren't interested in status, name recognition, identity. Children are just looking at their parents and 
become little. Let me show you a parallel passage. It's Luke 9, 46-48, that an argument started among them, the disciples, about who would be the greatest of them. Jesus, knowing the thoughts of their hearts, took a little child, and he had him stand next to him. He told them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. And I love this next statement. Don't miss it, folks. For whoever is least among you is the one who is great. This is hard because it's upside down. It's not what our heart wants. It's not what self prefers. It's not what the world which says pursue status is saying. What Jesus says, become little to become great, to become a child is what he calls us to be. Now, Jesus doesn't only teach in word, he teaches in deed. Please don't miss this final talking point for the triclinium meal. As we've already discussed, there is one person around the table who had seat number 12. You realize that? If that were you, how would you feel? You were the least in that room, and the host was the one who designated it. We have a very solid indication that the least around that Passover meal was Peter. I'm going to give you a few solid reasons. Number one, it says in John 13 that after Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he came to Peter. Think about it. After he washes Judas's, after he washes John's, he comes to Peter. So we know at least Peter was at, down on the, the other side of the washing. The second thing we know, he's washing the disciples' feet. Nobody objects. Then he gets to Peter, and Peter, remember his response? Hey, no way. You can't wash my feet. This, this just shouldn't be happening. Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you got no part in me. Well, hey, woo-hoo, aha moment, recalibrate, wash my head all the way to my feet. Lord, please wash me. He got it. He got the aha moment. Why was Peter so convicted and not one other disciple? I think because Peter had the least seat. He was the one designated in that culture, if there wasn't a servant or slave for that home, to be the one to wash the feet. He didn't step to the plate. He didn't choose to be least. Jesus dresses it. Now, the question you might say, is Jesus picking on Peter? Oh, no. Remember, Peter's one of the inner three, Peter, James, and John. Peter had some incredible experiences, but guess what's happening to Peter? He's going to become first among equals among the apostles in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. He's going to lead the way. And Peter, if you don't lead as a child, the kingdom will never come. If you don't take on the role of servant and become the least, you'll never emulate Christ's life. Peter got it because in 1 Peter chapter 5, we know this. Peter says, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, shepherds of God's flock. He's made you an overseer. Don't lord it over. Don't become the ruler. Don't become the benefactor. Don't become the big wig with all the status and name recognition. But serve. Serve humbly the people of God. Peter got it. What a beautiful picture. Again, I know this is hard. Become little. Boy, let's become like a child here. Let's become great in God's eyes. Secondly, he said, number two, become like a servant. 
I'm not going to camp here long why we hit this last week, but can I have you write down one word? The word is doulos. Some of you are familiar with it. I don't like to be too technical. I want to put the cookies down on the lower shelf. Let's all eat together and enjoy. Doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S. A lot of research done on that simple word over 2,000 years. The most recent is John MacArthur, who wrote a book on doulos. He titled the book Slave. John worked hard to say after a whole lifelong of ministry, 50 plus years, I've come to the conclusion that Jesus is calling us to be more of a slave than a servant. What's the difference? Pretty easy to serve, right? Set up tents, tear them down, clean floors, and so forth. I think it's really hard to be a slave. A slave 2,000 years ago was this. No rights. No rights. A slave had to relinquish. Yes, master. A slave was all in. You had no other options. That sounds negative to us. Folks, it's positive. The God of the universe, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, died for us, redeemed us. We have the privilege to go all in and serve him as a slave. Lord, like you, I relinquish my rights. Lord, like you, I say, I'm all in. I want to be faithful, time, treasure, talent, touch. Philippians 2, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. There's suffering involved. If you were with the women yesterday, there's suffering involved for the kingdom. Maybe not here, but boy, you go around the world, folks. The persecution is enormous. All in. I'm a do loss. I want to encourage you. you. want to go a little bit deeper on what it means to be a servant. Check out MacArthur's book. Now, finally, descent number three, become like Jesus. That should go without saying, right? But I want to camp here just for a few moments because it's in the text. I let the text drive the talk. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Isn't that great? You and I have the privilege to imitate Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, to descend into greatness. That's really what we're talking about. I want to close with two passages. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 13, 16 through 17. But keep your figure in Luke 22. Two passages. Here's how Jesus wraps up this foot washing. It's powerful. He says, so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Notice these two little big words. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. That word if is a little big word. And it presupposes one thing. It's open-ended right now. It's a choice you and I are going to make. To descend into greatness or to pursue what they pursued in the first century. Status, power, name recognition, me, I, mine, myself. It's all about me. I did it my way. Or I stoop low and become little. I'm going to serve, become a slave, relinquish my rights. And boy, oh boy, that means we get to become like Jesus. So I want to close. Some of you right now are saying, wow, yeah, serious? This is pretty tough. 
a pretty uh, whack. This is hard. Can I give you one motivation that Jesus gives us in closing? Everybody turn to Luke 22, 28 to 30. This is just remarkable to me, folks. If you're saying can't be done, I'm frustrated. Are you kidding me? This doesn't sound like fun. I'm not sure I want to become a Christian. Let me show you something. Jesus always motivates his followers, always. And so here's the motivation. 28 through 30, we close out. He says to his apostles, you are the ones who stood by me in my trials. Not perfectly, but they stood by him. Open the book of Acts, we will. Notice this next phrase, guys. If you missed this, this is just remarkable. I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one on me. So that, another meal's coming, you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. We talked about that last week. Revelation 19 is the wedding feast of the lamb, feasting with the king, where Jesus once again, as the bridegroom is host and servant. Remarkable. And then he says, you will sit on thrones, judging 12 tribes of Israel. Now, for clarity, that's for the apostles and for the apostles only. Now, jump to the rest of the Bible. Guess what God says to you today? You descend into greatness, there's going to be great reward. Can you imagine Matthew 25, 21? You're standing before Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in little, meaning the things of this life. Come into my Father's glory. Come into my Father's joy, and I'm going to allow you to be faithful in much. In other words, he's given us the kingdom. He's allowing us to participate in ruling and reigning. The Apostle Paul said this in the close of his life, right before martyrdom. He said, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Notice, but not to me only, Paul says, but to all those who love his appearing. I believe those who love his appearing, there's so much there, but at least at a minimum, they are those who are descending into greatness. With all my heart, this is a personal prayer. To become like Jesus, to become lesser, not greater. To throw out the status and name recognition. Let him honor you. Folks, is that your heart this morning? To see him one day say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's stand, let's worship together. Let's reflect on where you are in your spiritual journey. And as we sing, maybe God's calling us to just confess a certain selfish ambition, a pursuit of status. Maybe confess things that are just contrary to what we've heard today. Lord, I relinquish it to you. I want to renew afresh my servanthood to you, my slavery in the most positive. Let's worship.